we're talking about healthy relationships and it's part three so last week jen jen spoke and i spoke kicked it off two weeks ago th- yeah two weeks ago and i'm i've actually been very surprised the feedback that we've been getting from people just in terms of how deeply this has impacted them and the reality is that on this side of eternity i don't know if anything will ever hurt us more than unhealthy relationships and so hence talking about healthy relationships for many people you know what what i've been so so surprised that some people have have just come to this realization of how many unhealthy relationships they have in their lives and we're not just talking romantic relationships okay every kind of relationship and and i been quite amazed at that so I put this quote up two weeks ago Danny Silk said this healthy relationships truly are the most valuable meaningful and satisfying of human experiences and folks I want to tell you that I have been married now 28 something years um, but I was single for 24 years before I got married. And I want to say that particularly in those years when I chose to be single, it was some of the most just rich times of my life when I was at university where I had some amazing friends that I didn't know was possible to have, have such deep, meaningful relationships where it's not clouded by anything romantic, where there's no romantic, and this is where, she, where this person is truly a sister in the Lord, and we have a very significant deep relationship, but there's absolute purity in it. And I had a number of, and I want to say this with, with, with no, no ulterior motive, I had a number of sisters in the Lord, and eventually the Lord highlighted one of them called Jenny, and I went, whoa, it's Jenny. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the story. But I have, I can, I can just testify to this being true. You know, being married and, you know, marriage has its rough patches and we've been through a couple of them. But on the balance of it, I have no regrets. And I would do it all over again. I would say I do to Jenny all over again with probably more conviction than I did 28 years ago. So, I want to start though with this scripture in Corinthians. Now in Corinthians chapter 7, I hope you know this chapter in the Bible, the heading is something about marriage. But you know if you read it, it's actually more talking about singleness than marriage because Paul's emphasis in the scripture is actually how amazing it is to be single. And so I want us to just read just three verses from you, and we'll just put it up there. I'm going to start reading. Sometimes I wish everyone was single like me. This is the great Apostle Paul. He was single, folks. A simpler life in many ways. He goes on to say, God gives the gift of the single life to some. The gift of the married life to others. Folks, the Greek word for a gift is charis, from which we get, get the word literally grace. There's a grace, some people have a grace for the season of their lives when they're single, and some people have a grace to be married. I want to submit to you, historically, biblically, in the, in the history of the church, that single people have been used 
phenomenally, I want to submit to you, sometimes more than married people. How many of you realize Jesus was single? Paul the Apostle, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, was single. Many of the early church fathers and mothers were single. They chose to be single because they wanted to serve God wholeheartedly. And look what Paul says. He says, verse 8, I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them, as it has been for me. Folks, now some of you, some of you like, you're messing with my head. Absolutely. Because we live in a culture where you have to have a babe on your arm to be accepted for your sense of self-worth, for your sense of value. You have to have a hunky dude or a hot-looking babe on your arm. Otherwise, what's the point of life? But folks, that's not Bible. That's not how God views things. If you read the scripture, he says, man, if you want to get married, get married. But listen, I think it's actually better to be single. Why? He says it. A simpler life in many ways. Absolutely. You know, when you're married, you ha I have a wife, I have kids, I have God to, you know, provide for, take care of, be there for, etc. It it's just a no-brainer that if you're single, you have so much more virtue to serve God wholeheartedly. And this cuts across culture. So this morning, why am I saying this? This morning... I do want to talk about romantic relationships because they affect and mash up and smash up so many people's lives. We all need to know a little bit about how to do this in a godly way because whether you're single or married, you're going to know hundreds of people around you whose lives are getting smashed up through just crazy romantic relationships and we need to be able to help them, okay? Whether your season to be married comes this year or whether God's gift and grace to you is to be single and you're totally fulfilled in it. There was a season in my life and, and let, me just, let me just say, so I, um, let's put this quote up. I'll go with my notes instead of jumping all over the place. Breakups often lower your relational skills and coping mechanisms. You know, I realized this at the end of my first year of university. We, uh, I studied in Cape Town, UCT. And I had a girlfriend. And I grew up, my culture, my micro-culture, my family culture was, I was always being asked by family members when I was at school, who's your girlfriend? And I usually could give a name. You know, in junior school, it meant you wrote her name on your pencil box and hearts and, you know, you send little notes and etc. That's as far as it went. You, you know, when it gets into high school, it gets a bit more serious. I'm not going to tell you what that looks like, okay? But I, I can nearly every year in high school tell you the name of that girl that, whose name was on my pencil box. And I, and then varsity, went to varsity and I had a girlfriend and then we broke up about September of my first year university. And I remember this was the thing. I'm talking about breakups here. I was so gutted. I was so churned up on the inside by that breakup. And I was starting to come back to God. In my first year, I was like, I, I decided I need to come back to my God. I'd given my heart to the Lord when I was 15. I'd never really gone to church uh, in a meaningful way. I attended church, but my heart wasn't always in, in all, everything that I was doing. Uh, I had to go to church. It was like a family, a parental pressure thing. You had to go to church. But at the end of my first year when I broke up and I was coming back to God, I had this conviction that 
this pain that I'm experiencing through this breakdown, I'm not convinced that this is God's perfect will for my life to go from breakup to breakup to breakup because that was the story of my life. And I was not convinced that so much pain was God's perfect will for my life. And I got a conviction in my heart that I wanted to serve God wholeheartedly and if and when God brought a lady into my life, there was one thing I wanted from this lady. I wanted to marry a godly girl. I wanted to marry a godly woman. I'm telling you, it's not that I don't care what, what the girl I married like, would look like one day. But there was one thing in my heart, and, and maybe it was because the girl that I'd just broken, out, bro broken up with my first year, she wasn't serving the Lord. It wasn't that she just wasn't serving the Lord. She found it kind of funny that people would do something like that. She kind of chuckled at the fact that I would, you know, once every couple of months sneak off to church when nobody was looking. And I just realized this girl has no idea the depth and meaning that God has in my life. And I just realized there's no ways that I could actually be in a long-term relationship with somebody who, who doesn't, doesn't have a clue about God. But at the end of my first year, I dedicated my, my life to the Lord. I, I went to a New Year's Eve service. I dedicated my heart to the Lord and I made a radical prayer, guys, that I thought was the most radical prayer anybody ever prayed. I said, Lord... I don't want to have a girlfriend. I want to be single for you. I want to become a godly guy because I want to marry a godly woman one day. I was freaked out of this because I'd always, I grew up in a dating culture where having a girlfriend, you, I mean, that's just how you roll. You always have to have somebody at your side. But I realized how, how devastating breakups were, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Let's go to the next slide. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Folks, that was my experience. I didn't know the scripture. But with that girlfriend that I had in first year, that's what I realized. The deepest part of me, she, had, she could not connect at all with it. I remember the one time she actually came to church, she sat at the back, and, and for communion in this church, you went to the front, and the minister actually presented the communion elements to you. And she was literally laughing, she was giggling, she said, that was so funny. Or the, I think she said, that was so cute what you did in front there. I was like, you have no idea how significant that moment was for me. You're laughing at me. And I realized the deepest part of me, it's like she has no clue how how significant this is to me. I didn't know the scripture, but there it is. It says, For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? This is a really strong scripture, folks. I like what the New Living says. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Folks, I think we could safely say that a, a dating relationship is you teaming up with somebody. This is actually speaking about when yoked... In those days, they used to plow and you put two oxen together. But you couldn't put a big ox and a little ox. It didn't work. They had to be similar as possible for that team to work. And so this is such a foundational thing. I have never, we've done lots of, I'm a registered marriage officer. I've married many couples. 
I have never married a couple where they aren't both believers. And I'm not sure I, I, I would. Every couple that I've married, I ask them, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Now, if they say yes, who am I to question whether they're telling the truth or not? I can't do that. I'm not God. If they say they have 100% surrendered their life to Christ, I will, and let me just say this, as a matter of principle, I marry people in our local church. Okay? I have done weddings for people outside our local church, but that's not my preference. But I want to go on to the next slide. And what am I want to talk, talk to you this morning about is something I'm calling a real love story. That picture was taken on the 19th of December, 1993. Jenny and I were 24 years old. Now, I'm not saying it's the only real love story in here. I mean, there are a couple of couples, Cousin, Stella, Trevor and Zena. Um, there's a Wonke and Clumelo. There are a couple of other couples. We've got quite a few couples here this morning, Walter and Aline, etc., who could also put up a true love story. And folks, I want to tell you, God... If he's giving you the grace to get married, and I'm saying, I don't know how, how God works the grand scheme of things that not everybody gets married. It's just a reality. But I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not saying we have the perfect love story. We don't have the perfect marriage. We're not the perfect couple. But I want to tell you some convictions and, 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 and about our story of how we came together. So I shared with you that I said at the end of my first year, Lord, I want to be single. I actually don't want to be in a relationship because I knew that relationships were so distracting to me serving God in my previous, however, I was 19 at that age. And I started serving God wholeheartedly my second year university and I have absolutely no regrets about it. It was in, that in my second year university that I met this girl called Jenny from Zimbabwe. At that stage, I thought she was quite a stuck-up, snooty uh, girl from Zimbabwe. And I can't say that we hit it off. I, I, went, I have mentioned before, the first two times I met with her, the very first time I saw her, we were at a mutual friend's birthday party. She sat opposite me. And I was sitting on the end of this long table, and she was sitting opposite me. And she spent the whole night talking to my friend Nigel. And she can't even remember that I sat opposite her. That's my great impression, my first impressions, you know. She can't even remember that I was there. She remembers the party. She remembers talking to Nigel. But she cannot remember this gray, bland guy sitting opposite her. Anyway, you know. And, 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 and the second time I met her uh, was at Bible school. I went with another mutual friend. And I, you know, walking in, strange people, I don't know these people, I'm walking in and with this friend of mine. And this friend sees this girl, Jenny, and leaves me and they give a big hug and they're chatting. And here's this Jenny messing up my evening again, you know, taking my only friend away from me. And then I'm standing like, hey, okay, hi guys, you know. So, so Jenny really didn't, didn't do well in first impressions. So let me, you know what that means? There could be somebody sitting right now that you thought, wow, you know, not them. Just give God some time, okay? He's into love stories, okay? Don't write people off too soon, okay? He can do some stuff with you. So let me tell you, I, I, I made amazing friends in my second year university in our local church. And 
sisters in the Lord that I didn't know. I, I, I had a brother and I had a good relationship with my brother. But for the first time, I, I honestly had ladies in my life where I could say she's a sister in the Lord. There was nothing impure in our relationship. We were serving God wholeheartedly. It was beautiful. We did stuff together, you know, whatever. It's Friday fun days. We are in there. I used to volunteer for everything. You know, the team setting up the hall for Friday fun days. I was there. Jenny and I would be there. Jenny and myself and Wendy and Les and Jim and Gus and my friends. We would get in there. We served God together. So I got to know people. I got to know Jenny and Wendy and Les, etc. And over two, three years, when the Lord eventually highlighted Jenny to me, I knew her fairly well, and I realized she wasn't a stuck-up, snooty, snobbish girl from Zimbabwe. You know, I actually realized she's actually quite a nice girl. Okay? In my third year, started my third year of varsity, I prayed, uh, I prayed the same prayer. I said, Lord, I don't want a relationship. I'm loving being single. I'm loving not complicating things with the whole time thinking, is this the one? Could she be? Etc. I'm just loving the simplicity of being a single guy serving God wholeheartedly. Sort of my fourth year, I prayed the same prayer, but I prayed it half-heartedly. I said, Lord, I don't mind being single this year, but if you want to mess with my plans, Lord, be my guest. You can mess with my plans. April that year, I was praying and I got these crazy thoughts of one day marrying Jenny Freshman. I thought, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> and the more I prayed about it, the more I was thinking about Jenny Freshman as a romantic possible partner. And I really thought, oh my goodness, what's going on? So we had a camp, a church camp. And Jenny was organized. She was like the main organizer. You know, I don't know if you know, she's quite a good organizer, okay? If you let her, she'll help you organize things, okay? It's a grace gift, okay? And she was like doing the catering for this camp. We were probably about 70 students or something on this camp. And I'm trying to now, I'm trying to check out, you know, are there mutual vibes from this Jenny girl? And she picks up that I'm trying to, you know, do the heat-seeking missile thing. So she does the, well, I'm going to avoid him thing. And she, she was busy, but she was super busy that weekend. Every time I would go, she would go off to the kitchen. And then I see her over there, and then she's back in the kitchen. And I'm not on kitchen duty, so I can't go in there. So she's safe. She's away from me, etc. And I'm like, God, I need to know. I need some sign. And we had an amazing time of worship the Saturday night. Worship like from 7 till 11 o'clock. It was phenomenal. Phenomenal God encounter. We literally heard the angels singing in worship. It was the most spiritual thing. And there I am. God, is Jenny the one for me, Lord? <laughs> and I'm feeling so carnal because everybody else is hearing angels. Literally heard hearing angels sing. I actually heard the angels sing as well. But I'm wondering about this angel called Jenny. It's like, oh, Lord. <laughs> and I was right in front worshiping. And at the end of worship, I, I put this challenge to the Lord. I said, Lord, I really need to know. I said, Lord, if at the end of this worship, Jenny comes up to me and gives me a hug, then I'll know this is from you. And it was just God. I, I don't now say, the pastor said, you know, if he hugs me, he's the one for me. Please don't do that. That was what God said to me in 1991, in April 1991. God tells you to do that, do that. Don't now, he hugged me, he's the one. Pastor, he hugged me. Oh my goodness, you know. Okay. So there's a crowd like this. We're worshiping. 
And I stand up, and Jenna was at the back, because she's out back and forth to the kitchen the whole time. And I stand up, and I look at her, and she comes through the crowd, and I'm looking, and she comes. She comes straight to me, and she gives me a hug. I, I think you've heard me say, I'm glad she was hugging me, because I nearly fainted. I was like, oh my goodness. I wanted confirmation. Now i got confirmation. Now what do I do? The Lord had told her to actually give two people a hug. The one guy was... Piwa Mbuyazi, who actually stays up in Moy River, and he just needed a touch from God. She, on the way to hugging me, she hugged him. I didn't see that, fortunately. Otherwise, I would have been, I would have been out of there. <laughs> and then she came to hug me. She has a ministry of hugs. Then I was like, Lord, what do I do? And I phoned a mutual friend on that Sunday night. He said, well, if God's speaking to you, surely he's speaking to, you, to her at the same time. Go see her. Talk to her. I was like, well... Thank you. But that's scary. I don't want to talk to her. What if she says no? What if she says go take a hike? I mean, it's dangerous. It's scary, folks. This zone of relationship is scary. You need faith. You need courage because you need to do some talking. Okay? You can't assume things. At some point, for your relationship to go beyond just friends, you have to talk. The talk. The talk. And I don't know how you do it and whatever, but you need courage to deal with these things. So, so I... I, I, I was like, how and whatever. I didn't know. Then the Monday night, it was, we had outreach on campus. I was heading up outreach. And I was like, I've got to see her. I'd never visited her in a residence. I was staying in a, privately in a flat. And so I basically, when I got there, her neighbor, neighbor's name was Bev, came with a little note from Jenny inviting me to come for coffee after outreach. Whoa, Lord, you're opening the doors now. This must be God. So I go over and I have coffee with her. And so I tell her my story that, sure, the Lord's been highlighting you to me and I've been praying about it and, you know, all these things. And she's giving no positive vibes except she looks at me like, like nothing. I'm like, is there anything mutual here? Like, give me a clue, please, you know. And then I finish and I've just spilled my guts. I'm feeling naked and just so vulnerable. And she suddenly bursts out laughing. She, she kind of falls back on the bed. She bursts out laughing and she says to me, um, let's pray about it. I'm like, help me. Are you thinking this is ridiculous? Why? She prays about it and then she basically shares that basically for the previous year, the Lord had been highlighting me to her and she had been wrestling with God about it and with her mutual friend, her friend Wendy. And she had literally given up that we would ever be a number, like literally a month before. And when we track things, it's like the Lord started highlighting me to her the moment she released me to him and said, God, I'm going to stop chasing him, trying to make this happen. I'm trusting you. So folks, you know, I'm telling you a story because I believe there's a lot of principles in there. You know, Jenny, surrender is a biblical principle. Jenny trusted God in terms of our relationship. She was trying to see me, trying to make it happen. And I believe there's a place absolutely to, you know, have coffee and visit, etc. But she just let it go. And then God started speaking to me. And I, and I also be, believe biblically, guys, I want to tell you, I be, believe there's, there's a biblical, there's an honorable thing about a guy initiating 
the, ne the next stage of a relationship. That you initiate that conversation. Does it take courage? Is it scary? Yes. But that's why he's given you courage, okay? So you can do it and chat to her and say, how about we take this relationship to the next level, okay? Now, there's many ways. And so Jen, Jen put this up last week, and, and this was so helpful to us. These, these steps. Remember, with the four kinds of love. And this was a book written by C.S. Lewis, folks. We're in good company. One of the greatest Christian thinkers of the century. He wrote a book on this called The Four Kinds of Love. Agape is steadfast, sacrificial God type of love. Okay? Philea is friendship type of love. Your friends, you philea them. And the big thing about philea, you have things in common. I hope you have God stuff in common. You want to serve God together. Okay? Storge is family type of love that you would show to your sister, to your mom, to your aunt, to your uncle, to your dad. That kind of a love. Is there physical affection in Storge? Yes. In a healthy family? Absolutely. I give my son a hug. I give my daughter a hug. Okay? When I see my mom, I will give her a hug and I'll give her a kiss on her lips, a pet kiss. It's pure. There's nothing impure about it. Healthy families show affection. Okay? If you think that's weird, maybe you come from an unhealthy family, okay? It's okay to show affection in a healthy family. But eros, from which, which we get the erotic, the word erotic, is your romantic or sexual love. I'm just highlighting this for two reasons. This was so helpful to us. Remember Jenny said, I, on a, on a after, so, so she said, let me tell you, so that night, that Monday night, so she said, she said to me, Okay, let's pray about it. After we prayed about it, she said, let me tell you a story. And she told. And then we decided, we said, we believe the Lord is taking us. We'd been friends, folks. I was friends with Jenny Freshman. I knew her quite well. I'd met her parents. I'd gone to her 21st, etc. I had friendship with her. Okay? Philea. We believed the Lord was taking us to the next level. And so I said, let's go out. So we were going out. I remember I went back to my roommate Jim Steele, who knew her quite well. And I walked in and I said, Jim, I'm going out with Jenny Freshman. He was standing against the wall. Literally, I remember in the kitchen, he was standing on the wall. I said, Jim, can I tell you something? He said, yeah. I said, I'm going out with Jenny Freshman. He literally slid down the wall. He went, oh, he was so shocked. <laughs> he was so shocked. <laughs> it was so funny. So then I wrote a note to Jen the next morning. I thought I was being her. I said, I love you think I'm being the Romeo of the world over here. She sent this note back. And I remember, she knew where I was to park my bicycle on campus. I used to ride a bicycle up to campus. And I got back to my, on that, on that Tuesday morning, I, I get back there. And there's a note tucked into my bicycle. And I thought, oh, she got my note. Because that morning I'd put a note in her pigeonhole by her physical paper. Um, and, and I'm like, what's she going to say? How much does she love me? And she says, uh, thank you very much for your note. What do you mean you love me? I was so shocked. I was like, this is not the response I thought I'd get. But it was a good question. And we read this article Jen shared about the four kinds of love. And we read it. We had the conviction that God was taking us from being friends to storge, that type of love. And, and, and many people, you know, people, I've had young guys come to me and say, Pastor, you know, um, you know, with my girlfriend, you know, can I, can, I, can I touch her on her knee? You know, is it okay to touch her above the knee, Pastor? Can you touch her above the knee? You know, on the thigh. 
Pastor, how far up the thigh can you go? Okay, I want to ask you this. You're going out with a girl. You're in the zone of storge. Okay, you show affection like you would show in a healthy family. If you touch your aunt on her upper thigh, what kind of a slap are you going to get? Okay? That's it's simple. You tell it like that. It made perfect clear. I'm not touching this girl above me, okay? I wouldn't touch my mom or my aunt anywhere there. I'm not going to go there. It's simple. If you, if you understand it this way, okay? The question of deep kissing. Hey, hey, do you do that in a healthy family? Come on, if you do, please find prayer, get healing, okay? Healthy families don't do that. Married couples do it all the time. And it's wonderful. And it's so lacquer. I can't tell you how nice it is. Amen? Because that's where eros and sexual love happens. It's beautiful. I have a license. The angels love it. Amen? God celebrates. Read the book of Song of Solomon. It's beautiful. Amen? But look what, look what Song of Solomon says in, in 8 verse 4, 2 verse 7, and 3 verse 5. This lady says, Promise me a woman of Jerusalem not to awaken love until the time is right. Not to awaken love until the time is right. Folks, the Song of Solomon is about eros love, romantic love. Folks, you can... Awaken Eros. I like to say it's like a fire. And folks, in a, let me tell you, a fire in a fireplace in a home is beautiful. It warms the whole house. I remember somebody saying, how important is sex in a healthy marriage? I want to say it's about 5% of your marriage. If it is, or, sorry, 10%. That was the stat I heard. It was actually a psychologist said this. In a healthy marriage... Sex is about 10% of the relationship. But if it's not happening, if the fire's gone out, it becomes 90%. It's the elephant in the room. It's like, whoa, we need to deal with this. Okay? So it's not the be-all and end-all, but this is the deal. What happens if you make a fire in your home, not in your fireplace? How about on the carpet in the lounge? You burn the whole house down, and that's the problem when you don't, the fireplace is the marriage, the rock-solid commitment that I'm for you, I'm here for you, uh, the, 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 the agape love, I'm committed to you no matter what. That's the fireplace in which the fire can burn and make the relationship beautiful and healthy. Amen? Without the fireplace, you burn the whole house down. So this, this scripture, not awaken love before it's time, three times in the Song of Solomon. It's beautiful. I don't know if you know, do you know that this woman, it's a story, a love story between Solomon and one of his wives. Now, we don't know her name, but she describes herself as dark-skinned and beautiful. Many people actually believe she may have been a woman from Africa. Dark-skinned and beautiful. Amen? I don't care what your skin color is. I hope you can look at your skin color and say, Man, my skin color is beautiful because it's made by God. And he particularly chose that skin color for you. Amen? And I trust that your husband or your wife finds your skin beautiful. Amen? It's made by God. So let's go on. Four kinds of love in relationship, in the relationship timeline. Jen put it up last time. I want to say this about it. So there's agape, phileo, storge, and eros. It is a progression, etc. I 
told you and I said that agape is a steadfast, sacrificial God type of love. On a previous slide, it came up. I just forgot to highlight it. Folks, agape, I said it's like the fireplace. It means that your relationship is a safe place. You know, I was doing research on relationships and healthy relationships. And there were so many articles that said the bottom line of a healthy relationship is you must feel safe with that person. You must feel safe. And that's why I got it. And that's why, you know, some people put the, just, just click over there, Cynthia. I want to just highlight some things about worldly dating versus biblical courtship. Now, again, it's not about the word dating or courtship. Are you dating or you court? It's not about that. It is all about how you approach, approach it. Okay? Let me say, I want to submit in worldly dating, eros is the big thing. Have you seen, I mean, I'm sure you have, I hope you haven't, these incredibly crazy music videos with these poor girls dancing in just in their underwear. Shame. They can't afford clothes. Have you ever seen those videos? I mean, shame. How can they dance in videos just in their underwear? I mean, it's shocking, you know? But, but guys, the reality is, what are we talking about? Eros. Those people have had Eros awakened in them, and they are trying to start a fire inside of you and me, etc. Because in the world, that's what relationships are. It's all about Eros. There's nothing else. It's about stoking a fire and making a fire and you know, making a fire with anybody and everybody as much as possible because that's what makes the world go round. It does not make the world go round. Amen? In a healthy relationship, it's 10% of that relationship. It's beautiful, but it could burn your house down. And how many people don't know? Lives have been smashed up through adultery and, and sleeping around. and It just messes lives up. It's not how God made you to live. But I, but, I, but, I, but I want to say this thing about worldly dating versus biblical courtship. What is, what is the fundamental difference? Is it just that you have unconditional, this, the, the, the sacrificial love, the steadfast love, character, folks. If you love with a God, you have character, you have godly character in your life. Amen? So you can create a safe place for people you're in a relationship with. But is it... Is it just about that? Is it just the fact that you're friends? I remember the best advice my dad gave. He said, marry the girl that you are best friends with. And I remember when I got to know Jenny, was not enough my first year, my third year, when I got to know her and got chatting, and we could just talk for hours. And I remember those words that, from my dad saying, marry the girl who's your best friend in my head. And I was like, we just, and, and, and that's what he said. And he said, if you're best friends, you can talk freely for hours. And that was something, I mean, Jen and I, we could just talk and talk for hours and we never ran out of things to talk. You know, we weren't these uncomfortable silences. It was just like we got on so well eventually. But, you know, two years later, the first time was, wasn't great. But phileo and storge, etc. I believe it's more than just ticking the boxes. I believe it's this. The difference in worldly dating and biblical courtship, that is, in biblical courtship, you're trying to discern if this relationship is God's will for your life and for her life. Okay? God's will. I've put up God's will. You know, I'm amazed. We've had couples sitting before us that are coming for premarital counseling or, or, uh, or they're wanting to get married. And they're Christian couples. And I'll ask them, I'll say, do you believe that this is God's will? And they, they kind of blink at you like, my goodness, that's such a good question. I've never thought of that question. And I'm thinking, but you Christians, you want to get married? You, you don't know. And then sometimes I'm like, 
have, have you thought about this? And I'll say, I'll ask this question. I'll say, if you believe this is God's will, how do you believe this is God's will? What is the evidence? What are the things that you can tell me that you have seen in your time of dating or courting? doesn't matter what you call it. It's, it's, it's about how you approach it. What is the evidence that you can point at in your relationship that points towards this, is, this being God's will for your life? And folks, that is a fundamental question. I will bless a couple who want to get married, who have the conviction that this is God's will for their life. But I'm astounded that Christians aren't asking that. Isn't that like a major thing that, that gets us going in the morning? This is God's will. God provided this job for me. I'm in the center of His will. Whether it's a nice job or not doesn't matter. It's God provided this job. I'm in the center of His will. So therefore, I'm going to work with faith that God is going to use me in the way in that workplace, whatever work you're doing. Amen? Surely God's will is a big deal. And surely if you're in a dating or courtship relationship, that's the main thing that you want to discern. Is this God's will for your life? Folks, why I put the word courtship there is because of this. The word courtship has the word court in. What happens in a court? In a court, you are bringing evidence before a judge, and the judge, and in America, a jury, assesses that evidence to come to some conclusion about whatever the court is trying to assess. I mean, in a court, it's usually something criminal, okay? But in biblical courtship, it's like we are coming together. We're not, we're not hiding away. This isn't a secret thing, etc. The first thing, when Jen and I started going out, we went to our pastor and we said, we said, we are going out. And I loved what he said. He said, remember, build your friendship. The foundation of a healthy relationship is one of the foundations. The second foundation is friendship, filial love. And so I want to I say... This, this aspect of discerning God's will, of bringing it to court, of bringing it to court is a significant aspect of our Christian's approach, dating or courtship. And in a court, you have a judge. In America, you have a jury. Who are those people? Those are significant others. Folks, if you are going out with somebody, why on earth would you not want to share that with your parents? Surely they, they have a great interest in your well-being. And I've often said to couples, if there's a major no way, Jose, from a parent of a couple that are coming here, I will, I will listen to what the parent has to say. I've never not had to marry a couple. But if a parent has a big luck, because most parents have the best interests of their children at heart. And if there's a mom or dad who's not keen on this marriage going ahead, as a pastor, I would be foolish not to listen to them. Amen? And why would you not want to listen to your parents? They love you. They've, they've spent thousands on your education. They've invested in you. They've spent nights awake feeding you, etc. People who have invested so much in you, why would you not want to listen to their advice? They know you quite well. Other people, friends, pastors, leaders in your church, etc. Those are the people in the court, the judge and the jury that you bring the relationship to and say, assess it. I want you to see what's the fruit like in this relationship. One of the obvious fruits is, has this relationship, and I ask couples this, has this relationship caused you to come closer to God or caused you to go further away from God? Whoa, that's a good fruit we can look at. But ultimately the question is, is this God's will? Is this God's will for your life? And I want to say that's the key difference between worldly dating and biblical courtship. In worldly dating, it's how far can we go? How far can you get your hand up the girl's leg? Legally. Okay? 
Folks, that's not what it's about. Amen? It is about discerning God's will and going for God's will in your life. Amen? And let's go to the next slide. I know we're running out of time. Next slide. In Ephesians 2, I want to say it says this. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Sorry, Ephesians 4.2. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Folks, making allowance for each, for each other's faults because of your love. Be gracious to one another. If you just click there, Mr. and Mrs. Perfect don't exist. I've had to counsel couples that eventually got married where one of them didn't think the other one made the grade. They had these super high expectations of the person they're going to marry and they couldn't see the amazing person that was in front of them that, that they eventually did get married was God's will for them. Don't have ridiculously high expectations, but I want to say this as well. Don't have ridiculously low expectations. Okay? You don't say yes to the first person that pops the question. If he doesn't value you and treasure you and make you feel special and loved, I'm sorry, do not say I do to somebody like that. Some people have super high expectations. Some people have ridiculously low expectations. There's a zone in the middle where you're trying to discern, is this God's will for my life? He's not perfect. I'm not perfect. Therefore, we need God in our lives to help us have an amazing marriage. Amen. Next thing I want to say in Peter, it says, above all else, I'm sorry, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Cynthia? What is this talking about? I remember years ago hearing this quote. Go into marriage with your eyes wide open. But after you say I do, keep them half shut. <laughs> what does that mean? Folks, when you say I do, we do pre-engagement counseling. Folks, I believe you need to know as much as you can about this imperfect gift from God that you're going to say I do to absolutely get to know them get to know their strengths and their weaknesses but after you say I do just know that only God can change that person you can't and we need to be gracious with one another look at this quote no marriage can survive without forgiveness Marriage is a long-term commitment between two sinners. A long-term commitment between two sinners. And folks, I want to I close with that. This, this phrase, be gracious with one another. Remember I spoke a few weeks ago about offense and how just the world is so angry and offended today? I believe the a biblical response is, yes, release your offense. But more than that, be gracious with one another. The last two years has been tough on everybody. It has, in many cases, brought out the worst of us, of, of many of us, because under pressure, sometimes our weaknesses just shine forth. Okay? So what do we do? We are gracious with one another. And so I want to conclude. We've got communion elements here. And folks... This quote, no marriage can survive without forgiveness. Cynthia, can you go to the very last slide? It says, happy marriage is the union 
of two good forgivers. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's daughter. A union of two good forgivers. Now, this quote is in the context of romantic relationships. But many of us are sitting here and you've been deeply wounded by relationships, romantic or not. Parental relationships, sibling relationships, friendship relationships. I want to tell you, communion has ministered so deeply to my soul in the reality that God was crushed for all my pain. I have taken a little piece of biscuit and as I've crushed it in my teeth, remembered the reality that His body was crushed for my pain. And in that act of eating the biscuit, I'm saying, God, I give you my pain. I give you this, whatever, betrayal, this nastiness, the stuff that was said or done or wasn't done. I give it to you. And then I receive your blood that cleanses me and I forgive them and I release them because you forgave me first at the cross of Calvary. And so I want us to finish with having a very personal communion. Okay, we're not handing out elements. We can't due to COVID regulations, whatever. I'm going to do this. We haven't got enough communion for everybody, I know. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to pray for everybody. But then if you want a deeper level of saying, God, I need your healing in my soul from, from a particular relationship, I want you to come and have communion because we've probably only got about 10 or 12 elements here. So I want to pray for everybody first. Lord, this quote is just so, so true. A happy marriage is the union of two forgivers. Lord, any healthy relationship is the union of two good forgivers. And so God, our standard for forgiveness is your standard. Our standard is the reality of how much you forgave us. And so, Lord, we come. Maybe pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I bring you this relationship pain. I bring you this person. I want you to just picture the person that, you, that, that I believe the Holy Spirit's bringing in mind to you. And right now, Lord Jesus, I choose to forgive them for all the pain they've caused me. I release them, Lord Jesus, that I may be free. I ask you to heal me, Lord, to restore my soul according to Psalm 23. That I may be able to love again, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to close the service there, but I want to say the communion elements here. If some of you are there and you say there's some relationship stuff, 
I just want to have some communion over. You can come, help yourself. You can sit. You can stand. I'm going to ask some of our, our prayer team just to be available to pray with you. If you want to pray and just go deeper in terms of restoring your soul. Amen. God bless you folks. Have a fantastic week. And um, next week is, the, is, 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 well, Jenny's actually going to come and minister some, some stuff next week in this area of relationships as well. So invite a friend, bring some folks along. God bless you. And to all our Zoomers as well, we've got a couple of Zoomers this morning. God bless you. So glad of you. Glad you could join us. Amen. God bless, folks. Communion is available. Amen. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za. And for more of our messages, visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels, as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepmb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877. To join us for in-person services, visit us at 154 Burkett Road, Scottsville, Peter Maritzburg. We hope to see you soon. God bless.